Hey, thanks for listening in to another special edition of the Christ Alone podcast. Week two of the Bible study through the Gospel of St. Mark. And uh, going through content real fast here. And um, going to read, as I did last week, through the entire text, which means we're going to be reading aloud chapter 3, verse 13, through chapter 6, verse 6. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read it aloud on the podcast on air because of the conviction that there really is nothing more important for your ears or my ears to hear than the inspired written word of God. And so we'll take some time to read through this at the appropriate point here in the podcast, here after the introduction, and uh, then we'll get on into the body of the Bible study. If you ran across this podcast, uh, this particular special edition of the Christ Alone podcast, this Bible study, because you're a regular subscriber to the Christ Alone podcast and are used to my uh, radio segments, I'm glad you're here to listen. If you have any questions about uh, more of this content as it's being released, the outlines, or any other, any other questions like that about the gospel, uh, I'd be love to hear from you. Love to get your feedback on anything, really. You can hit me up, as always, on Facebook, facebook.com backslash Dolichek, D-O-L-E-C-H-E-C-K. is probably going to be the best way to reach me. So, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the Bible study. We are in week two of the Gospel of Mark, and we are at a breakneck pace through the Gospel. Um, Normally, I wouldn't like to do this. Uh, this fast, but um, just for our purposes, it's it's kind of the way that we are going after our study uh, in this way. So we're going to spend a lot of time again tonight just reading the text. We're going to start in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, and we're going to read all the way through Mark chapter 6, verse 6. So we're going to read three full chapters of, um, of Scripture. And... We do this, I'm doing this on purpose, not because I can't think of ways to fill the time. If you know me, I can think of plenty of ways to fill the time by me blathering. But uh, this is is on purpose and of why we're doing this. And one of the reasons is that first introductory material I have down there on our outline is the perspicuity of Scripture. I, if you also, as you get to know me, I like to use words that make me sound smart. So perspicuity is one of those words. Anyone know what perspicuity means? Any guesses at all what perspicuity? Nothing? Perspicuity is clarity, is clarity of Scripture. So Scripture has kind of like four characteristics, authority, sufficiency, necessity, and perspicuity of Scripture. So the scripture is written, it has perspicuity, it has clarity, and it's meant to be a book that we can read and just at a surface level gather what the Bible's about. And so one of the reasons why we just want to take time to just read the plain text is because we believe as historical biblical Christians in the perspicuity, the clarity of scripture, that everyone can read the Bible and can learn what God is trying to say to us through the Scripture. So we're just reading through it because we believe that Scripture is clear. We're also aware that this is just snapping a chalk line, right? We're not digging deep. 
We're not uh, spending all the time we could spend. We could spend a lot of time in just any of these points tonight. We're just flying across the surface of the text. So one of the things that I want to encourage you again to be doing as we're going to pray before we read is praying that God would give you eyes to see him in the text and that if there are things that that you that you can kind of oh this is something different or that's interesting I never thought of that or just any of the things that might cross your mind any questions make a note be listening so that so that God can continue to work in your life just through this reading of of the scripture and the third thing um, we want to not just see but we want to really see uh, we don't we're not seeing just for the sake of seeing so I've said we're gathering and, and flying through this that we can learn to see Jesus one of the things uh, that I posted on Facebook was about um, oh the wineskins and the the new wine and how everyone was reading themselves into the text and they're saying oh what this is about is it's all about you and it's uh, no, Jesus had a point, and, and the point of Scripture is that we would see Jesus. But, on the other end of it, is that we aren't gathering just to, to see Jesus so we can say, oh yeah, I, I know what he's about. We're, we're, we're here to see Jesus that we might see and, and believe that, that, that seeing him might become something more than just a head knowledge about him, right? We want to see him and, and really see him. So, we'll pray towards that end. Uh, as we go through uh, the Gospel of Mark here, chapter three, verse thirteen, through verses six, or through chapter six, verse six, try to read a decent portion. Uh, interestingly, this is what they would have done a lot of in the New Testament church: is they would have gathered and just read the Bible, and they'd have sat down and read whole big, whole big chunks of the Bible together. So we're in a good tradition where we're doing this. So read a good section there as we read it aloud together. I will say a prayer. And then we will get started. Father, I thank you for the chance again to gather in this place tonight. My desire and my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would just be here among us, giving us eyes to see you clearly, to see who you are, God, to see who Jesus the Son is, to see who what you are doing and what you have done, that we might behold you. And in beholding you, we might believe in you. And that we might be drawn near to you by understanding more clearly who you are and, and who you've said that you are. So be with us tonight. Give us, again I pray, give us eyes to see, see you, ears to hear you, and hearts that will be open to believe and grasp who you truly are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And he went up on the mountain, and called to him those he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. 
And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. And his mother's mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, and produced other and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, and bear fruit, thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in their boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the, in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened, and they came to see Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to tell, beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim 
in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with them. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and had came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I shall be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body what that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is, this not, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. So, a lot going on here and there's many sections. We can't dig into all that we would want to. I do want to say... That if there is a section that you, um, as we're going through them, I, I want interruptions to an extent. Like if you like ten or twelve, I'm gonna probably say hold, on, you know. But you know, I want interruptions, you know, so that we can kind of all learn from each other as we sit here and try to just see Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Mark's purpose from the beginning of the Gospel of Mark is that it would be a gospel about the Son of God, and we're trying to see Jesus as the Son of God. So I really just have four sections that I'm going to try to take us through. 
and the four sections you've got in your outline are the first one, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, because that tends to get a lot of questions. The second one is uh, the parable of the sower. The third is Jesus calming the storm. And then the fourth is the one with the issue of blood and Jairus's, or however you want to say it, Jairus, I don't, Jair, I don't know, Jairus's daughter. So those are the four that we're kind of going to look at here tonight. And so if, if there's content in the middle there that you want to, you know, push back on, that's that's fine too. With the reason why I went through six six uh, instead of stopping at the end of chapter five is that you know, um, just a side note, scripture. The chapter and verse numbers, they're not divinely inspired, right? They're just, they're a way for us to help find our way around our Bibles. But it isn't like God himself said, this is the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. They're just organized that way. And so Mark is gathering his stuff into content. So we started out with the calling of the disciples. And then you'll see in 6-7, it goes on with another section about Jesus then sends out the twelve. It's kind of broken up into these disciples, uh, the first at the end of chapter one, the calling of the first disciples, the sending out of these disciples, the appointing of the 12. There it is. And then um, on down the line. So blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, Jesus and Beelzebub. Thanks. <laughs> Beelzebub. Is that what you mean? Beelzebub. Um, there are different Beelzebub. Huh? Beetlejuice. There's Beazabool is in there. There is Bub, and there's different. Um, what they're referring there to is Jesus, and we don't have time to go into the historical. In a lot of the Old Testament, you have Baal is the is one of the gods. B A A L. Baal is the Hebrew kind of this the god of the heights. And so then, interestingly, Beelzebub is kind of a a derogatory way to speak about Baal, because instead of Lord of the Heights, it's literally translated Lord of the Flies. So you remember the classic novel, Lord of the Flies? That's where this comes from, is this name Beelzebub, is Lord of the Flies, but it just kind of takes on this um, quality of, this is what they're referring to as Satan. They're accusing Jesus of being possessed, right in verse 22 of chapter 3, of being possessed by Beelzebub. And we see him going around, right? And this is a big, I mean, you have a hard time getting away from the supernatural realities that exist when you encounter the life of Jesus because he's constantly coming up against demon-possessed people who know he's the son of God and he's casting them out. And so here these Pharisees, these teachers, uh, are accusing Jesus of being possessed by Beelzebub. And so he goes into this discussion of the strong man binding the strong man. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I think uh, doesn't uh, President Lincoln has that famous speech about a house divided cannot stand. Anyway, that doesn't matter. That's not that's Lincoln. That's a lot later than this. So uh, verse 29, he says this kind of... Um, 28 and 29, they're, they're startling statements here. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. So one of the things I want to just kind of press on is seeing the reality of I read this and I think, where's this hippie Jesus that kind of we like to celebrate of the Jesus who calls the children to himself, which is a picture of Jesus, 
and is just, you know, let's be peaceable, let's be, you know, all these kind of, um, you know, peace, love, and harmony. But here he's like, this is a sobering reality where he's saying there is a sin that can be committed that is unpardonable. And it is the sin against the Holy Spirit, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He is guilty of an eternal sin. It's a sobering warning. Somebody say something. I was going to say, so he's saying it can never be forgiven. He's saying it can never be forgiven. That's pretty harsh. It's pretty harsh. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> he forgives everything, but not when you exactly. Okay, so there's, uh, yeah, I mean, what, where is the, there's some dissonance here with this. And the thing is, here's the challenge in, in coming to a passage like this when we read our Bible. There's this part of me that wants to explain, you know, honestly, if, if you're here reading your Bible and, and trying to see Jesus, yeah, I don't think you're in danger of committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit for reasons that Jennifer kind of mentioned we'll get to. And so I, I don't think that that's what this is talking about. But at the same time, the, the tenor of the passage is Jesus saying, hey, there, this is rejecting who I am is a serious deal. Mm-hmm. Um, what the Pharisees were doing is they were not just rejecting Jesus, but they were actually saying the good works that Jesus was doing were actually being done by Satan. And Jesus is just saying that's nothing to take lightly. That's a big deal. However, most commentators that you're going to read will say, agree that the unpardonable sin is unpardonable not because of some certain act that was done, but it's unpardonable in its refusal to come to Christ for pardon. So, I mean, it's unpardonable because the person who's committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit has no desire to come to Christ for forgiveness. They, they're, not, they're not convicted of their sin. Their conscience is not harmed. They're okay with it. They see no problem. They see no need to come to Jesus. Ergo, therefore, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit isn't forgiven because the person who's committing it doesn't even really want it. They're not interested in it. But at the same time, it is a, you know, it, it is a reality, and there's a serious warning in, in what um, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. I had a girl, and this is, gosh, way back when in my youth group in high school who was concerned that her sister committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because... She had gone to church forever and had left and decided she didn't want anything to do with Jesus and said it was all, you know, fake and is an atheist now and whatever. And she was weeping, concerned that her sisters committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and she's never going to be forgiven. I don't, I mean, sure, there's the chance that the person dies and goes to the grave never believing in Christ. And, well, that's, that's a big problem and that's a serious warning. But the other side of this is, if, if there are pangs of conscience, if you um, see the need for a Savior, there's no unpardonable sin. That's what he's saying in the verse 28, right? All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. The only reason why I kind of want to highlight is, Tim's always like, maybe people kind of hit a pit in their stomach. But the, the, the contrast between who we usually see Jesus as and then the reality of some of his teaching is very legit, very serious. Like Jesus ain't playing when it comes to uh, eternal life. He's he's he means what he's talking about. I'm surprised this isn't talked about more, honestly. Like I've really never. I'm gonna mess the floor off over. 
Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, that's kind of that's one of the reasons why ex, ex, uh, I'm calling it expository, but just working through the Bible is so important because I don't know. I mean, so like I'm I'm preaching here this weekend and I'm going to preach on Revelation chapter one. I would never pick it, but it's like it's been assigned to me, and so I'm I'm I'm, I'm going for it, huh? Said enjoy it. <laughs> It'll be fun. It'll be all right, but uh, it's not that bad. Yeah. Uh, but but. Because no one's ever going to say, well, I think what I'm going to preach on this week is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Or I'm going to design a Bible study where we all sit around. Let me tell you about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I would never decide to do that, but that's why it's so important to be a Bible reader, not a Bible picker. You know, that we're wanting to go through this thing. And so we. It's true, though, because like I've looked online like scripture about certain things I'm going through, but it's kind of that cushy, like God is love. God is. That versus and those that things, story. it's not wrong. I mean, and I said that, you know, to, to use your concordance and to look up passages on fear, if you're afraid. And so you want to look up what the Bible has to say about fear. Okay, okay, I'm okay with that. But, I mean, there's there's a bigger overarching theme. It's why the first thing we studied was the meta-narrative, because the thing that, that really will impact your life is not just pithy statements, but it's the overarching view of who God is and what he's doing. And so that's why we want to work through these things. And so, yes, we come across things like blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's like, what's that, where'd that come from? <laughs> it's like, well, it's just, it's always it's been, like, it's know, always been sitting right there. And if they say something like deny Jesus or like something, mm-hmm. you know, before you just kind of look at them like, wow, you know, now it's, I'm going to be like, you can't say that. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. Wait a It's not to say that everyone who in this moment is rejecting Christ is uttering the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I mean, okay, but you know, but because people, I don't, I don't think that's what he's coming against. These Pharisees who are saying Jesus is Satan, and and their consciences are seared. Remember, they're just they're fighting with Jesus. This past uh, miracle that he's worked is a man with a withered hand. And it's on a Sabbath day, and he says, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches out his hand, and it's healed. And they're mad at Jesus for healing him on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, you, I mean, and, and start calling him Satan. And he's healing this man's withered hand. I mean, he's doing an incredible good work. And they're calling him, they're calling him Satan. Well, that, that is a problem. But one thing I do want to point out is... The, the where Mark has this arranged, it's surrounded by a, a, a stories of, of a certain group of people. And in verse 21, certain group of people say Jesus is out of his mind. And who is that group of people? Religious leaders. No, no. His family. His family. Verse 21, his family shows up, <laughs> went, to take, went to take charge of him. Like, they're like, Jesus is... Come with us. <laughs> who show up when they say family? Well, we got down here... We know uh, his, mother's and, his mother and brothers. Mother and brothers. So Mary and like who was considered his brother? Well, I mean, there's there's a group of James, Joseph. There's these guys. There's this group of people who are his brothers and sisters. Mary and Joseph, uh, not being Catholic, I don't believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary. And so after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had more kids, and that's them showing up with big brother Jesus has gone off his rocker again, and we're gonna. <laughs> Go go put the straight jacket on him and usher him back to back home. So I mean, I don't know exactly these people there, and I know that there are records. James, the writer of the New Testament book, James is actually a half brother mm-hmm. of Jesus. So he's got these brothers. But this family shows up that that all you just 
I didn't want to cut you off. That no. basically, uh, his family shows up and they're like, Jesus is crazy. <laughs> we we got to get a hold of him. And then and then later on, and see what I'm trying to point out is that it's surrounded. His family says, and then um, then the uh, the Pharisees show up and they say. But then we got on down here in verse 33, this or verse 32, a crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And he says, who are my mother and brothers? There are these who are with me. But what we know from history and what we see at the end of the gospel of Mark, Jesus' family does come to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. I mean, if you read the beginning of the book of James, uh, he introduces himself a disciple or slave. I'm not going to get it right. Let me just look it up real quick. They know what's coming. Yeah, they, there's a there's some him. there's some issue there of when he goes into Jerusalem and for the Passover and they're saying, well, this now is your time and yeah, I don't. It's hard telling what their motives are. We can't really put it on there. James chapter one verse one. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's James talking about his brother. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. First of all, something really significant's happened that a brother would call you God and Lord. But I only bring that up because I think Mark surrounds this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that it's not just a kind of basic rejection of Jesus in the moment that, you know, you've uttered the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you're unforgivable, I'm not even bother talking about Jesus anymore because it's already too late for you, you're unpardonable. No, that that's not the reality, but there is this persistent... Um, Consistent, conscious, oh, what did Kevin DeYoung, Con- conscious, continuous, clear repudiation of Christ is kind of the idea of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's conscious, you know who Jesus is, or you know what you're doing, it's continuous, there's no repentance, it's clear repudiation of Christ is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So, there's that. we got to move on because we got a lot more to talk about. We have the parable of the sower is our next thing down our chalk line. A pretty popular parable. You haven't heard about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard of something preached on the parable of the sower? Not even not even that? No, come on. Okay, all right. So um, Jesus tells the parable. There's a little interlude here in verses um, 10 through 12 of what the purpose of the parables are. And then Jesus comes back in and he explains the parable to his disciples in verses 13 through 20. Four types of soil. Who wants to tell us what they are? You know I want to, but I'm asking if anybody else wants to. <laughs> what are the I four types you. of soil? <laughs> What's the first type of soil? The first type. The the sower sows a seed along what kind of ground? Rocky, right? Rocky. The path. It's on the path. Some fell along the path. What's a path when you have a ground and you mean you grow up on a farm and you walk where the cows have gone? There's a path there. What's growing in a cow path? Weed. Well, nothing's growing in a cow path. It's yeah. so hard. There's, I mean, there's weeds around it, but where they're packing the ground, hard ground, that's the path. So what's the second ground? Rocky ground. Rocky. It's, uh, it doesn't get any depth. It's uh, got too much pollution in the soil, so it goes down, springs up, but uh, it, can't, it doesn't get any root. Sun comes out, and it's scorched. The third type of ground is thorny ground, and so it's uh, growing up, but there's so much other junk growing up with it. It chokes it out, and then the fourth kind is the good soil. Good soil. So 
this teaching is flanked by a couple of the main imperatives. So chapter 4, verse 3, the first word there is listen. listen. And then in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him what? Hear. Hear. Oh, yeah, chapter 4, verse 9. Yeah, 4, verse 9. Hear. And so it's flanked, this parable is flanked by two words. Listen, hear, listen, hear. And so what is the seed? Now, parables are, are interesting. They're not necessarily allegories where everything is this thing and this is this and this and this and this and this. But Jesus kind of gives us an explanation of what these things are. What does he say the seed is? The word. The sower sows the seed and the sower sows the word. And so the word goes out. And that's why it's flanked by these imperatives of listen and hear. The seed is the word. It is this gospel preaching that Jesus is coming out with. It is the declaration of the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, which is what chapter 1 tells us Jesus is going about preaching. So this word goes out and it finds four different kinds of soil. Um, so that's where I was kind of saying when we got started that the, the hope here is not just to hear, but it's to hear and really hear. And the goal isn't just to see, it's to see and, and really see. And there's two different ways that you can see. I mean, you all kind of get what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, I listen to you, but I ain't listening to you. Which, you know, and you get, uh, anyway, that, that happens a lot. I won't say it happens in Bible studies. It has been known to happen at times or in church services. But you're listening, but then there's listening. And so he's, he's telling them, listen here. So the main trouble that I kind of, I mean, I used to go through this passage when I would teach it before about how important it is that you make yourself some certain type of soil. The imperative there isn't, isn't really that you make yourself into some kind of soil. It is a warning about what ruins good soil and then the admonition to listen and hear and make sure that seed is being sown. So what are the, um, what are the warnings about how your soil can become bad soil? And the first is this just kind of hardened soil that when things hit you, they just kind of bounce off of you. And so it's kind of, it's, it's an indifferent listening. It's listening, but it's like uh, when you get a phone call from, um, uh, well, especially this time of year, a politician or a survey person, and they want to, you know, you have a few minutes for a survey. Sure, I got a minute. And they goes on for 15. And he answering questions, and I'm too polite to just hang up. I answer all of them. And I get done, and Darla says, who else on the phone? I don't sit down and have like, well, we had a really in-depth conversation about they asked me this, and I said this, and they asked me this. And I say, I say oh, it's just a survey. And I just kind of go on. Because I've, I've got a hardness against people who do surveys. <laughs> and I don't really care. And I listen, and I'll, I'll kind of take it in, but I'm not going to really care what the guy says or care about my answers. I'm just basically pick the first one so I can get through it quicker. <laughs> like I was asked, can I just answer one answer for all the questions or what do I have to do? But anyway, so that's this first kind of soil, right? We, we sit in here at a Bible study and as the seed, the word, as the gospel is sown, does it just kind of hit you and you go off and it's something else? And this is, I mean, you, before you get out the door, you're, you're back on Facebook or Twitter or whatever you do and and, and the, the seed has been sown, 
but you you're, you're letting yourself be such hard ground that it's like it doesn't even have time to work on you. Doesn't penetrate. Doesn't go anywhere. I mean, it it's um you, you're just in and then you're out. I mean, you know, church is followed by lunch, and so you go to you go to church. Maybe you hear a good gospel centered, God centered, Christ exalting sermon. And you go to lunch, and there's some sort of a fight, or something goes bad, or somebody annoys you, or the food's gross, or whatever. It's cold, and then immediately you you know the conversation's on something else. And then football's on, because uh, the Cowboys are gonna get beat, you know, at one fifteen. <laughs> so on that. Huh? <laughs> What's that? You got thing for a church. <laughs> I was sitting by night. I was so careful. Uh, but you know, and so it doesn't have time to take any root. So. There's one way that you can kind of allow your ground to be hardened, it seems to me, is that you don't allow the gospel to really spend any time doing its work on you, its work in you, its work into you. So we sit here and we talk for, or I talk, for an hour, you know, <laughs> my, my apologies for what that is, but, you know, do we let this hit us? Um, second kind of soil is rocky, right? And this is the word that takes a root and, and we all know people like this that have happened, that they come in and, boy, they love it. And they think church is awesome and Jesus is great. And, boy, they're just on fire. And then the minute somebody kind of says something, you sure you, you know, they kind of have a little bit of persecution on account of the word or any sort of trouble comes along their way where they maybe have to actually take a stance about Jesus or something like that. And then it just kind of, poof, <laughs> just kind of disappears because they, they – they haven't spent any time, like we just kind of said about the hardened ground, letting roots dig deep, going deep. They've done, this is the part of the parable that makes me nervous in doing this kind of a study on Mark, where we're just flying across the top and never spending much time putting a deep root down in. Because, because the parable of the sower says, if you don't put your roots down in deep, trouble comes, persecution comes on account of the word, which it's guaranteed to come to us. According to Jesus, uh, cannot bear fruit, and the, the, it gets burnt up, and it disappears, and the seed that has been sown is gone. Third kind, am I flying through this too quickly? Because we got more stuff to get to, so that's why I am. The third kind is the um, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of this life choke out the soil. I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to use this as my confession, but uh, that is my confessional booth. That's a, I mean, you talk about the the desires of this world, the deceitfulness of the riches, desires for other things that immediately gets our mind off of who Jesus is, who God is, who God is for us in Christ, that what the gospel has done, things that we learn about Jesus, that as soon as, you know, something goes on in your life or, you know, you have something you want, desire for something else, and all of these things, all of these uh, things we're juggling up in the air choke out what God's trying to do. Like it's a decent rebuke. So, um, what can we do? <laughs> and I, huh? This, absolutely, and that's an important point, is that one of the things you want to make sure you're doing is that you're getting lots of seed thrown at you want to read your bible i mean and i'm not saying this is a guilt trip i'm rebuked to myself i want to spend a lot of time rehearsing the gospel with myself confessing that i'm a sinner that doesn't deserve the mercy of god for a second but god in his grace through jesus christ has rescued me 
that he has offered me the forgiveness of my sin. Not that I have earned it, but that his goodness has given it to me. We want to throw a lot of seed. Read lots of Bible, come to Bible studies, get in church, have conversations about Jesus. You know, in, in your in your marriages, in your relationships with your children, with friends, take time to talk about Jesus once in a while. You know, I mean, more than once in a while, but have it become a conversation where seed is being sown. And the second thing is, I mean, pray. God, I want to be good soil. I, I want that when the seed hits me, it produces 30, 60, 100 fold. God, give me eyes to see you. Give me ears to hear you. That when the seed is sown, it springs up. God, show me the ways that I am caring about this world, that I'm being deceived by riches, that I'm desiring other things. Show me these things that are trying to choke out the word that I could repent and be good soil. Make sense? Yeah. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> when you put it that way, it does make it's interesting to look at that way, the way you put the seed out and sow it. You know, it's just, I like the way you say that. Jesus is about sowing seed. I mean, that's, you know, the, these parables of the farmer we missed out on, but they're so good. There's just an aspect of the Christian faith, and I'm not knocking when it is a rocket ship. If somebody's got a, just a huge advancement in sanctification, and they go from being a meth addict, uh, you know, selling themselves on the street, whatever, to a, a person on fire in love with Jesus and witnessing to their friends, praise God, that is awesome. And I love those stories. The reality is more like for most of us, it's like a farmer puts a seed in the ground and he waters it, comes back the next day and he waters it, comes back the next day and he waters it, and it grows up, and then it has a shoot, then it has a blade, then it has a full blade in the ear, and it's it goes through a process. And that what the farmer's obligation is just putting the seed in, keeping it watered, sowing lots of seed. So a couple more parables there were skipping, lamp on a stand, growing seed, Mark's just trying to answer the question, how in the world is this thing growing? Jesus is just out there sowing seed. So we got to move on because I'm out of 10 minutes left to Jesus calming the storm. This is not the time that Peter is walking on the water. We will see that. Or I don't say Peter. I always say Peter because that's what we call it. But it's actually the bigger part of the story is Jesus walks on water. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, Peter, this is not this time, but this is another storm that comes up. And... Um, you know, there's just some interesting things going on here. The the main, let's see, how do we want to attack this? The the service level clear thing Mark is trying to get across is the authority of Jesus. Jesus tells demons what to do. Jesus tells sickness what to do. Jesus even tells nature what to do. Dudes in charge, like nobody else we know has been in charge before. I mean, he's in charge. The one of the things is interesting is this rebuke that they get and, and, and noticing the disciples' terror. So they're in this storm. They're in a boat, not a big boat. These fishing boats back then weren't that big. Where is Jesus during the middle of this storm? Sleeping. 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 While everyone else, it's an issue. I mean, Jesus, while everyone's asleep, Jesus is, is pursuing God. He's out praying. And when everyone else is worried about what's going on, Jesus is just asleep. <laughs> He's not bothered. He's not worried about it. But there also are some parallels, interesting parallels here with the book of Jonah. 
that Jonah, when the storm is going on, where is Jonah in the middle of the storm? He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. Anyway, we won't get in. We don't have time for that. So Jesus is asleep. And what happens? Storm comes up. It's nearly swamped. And the disciples welcome up and they say to him, yeah, what's up? Teacher, do you not care? Most likely. Now, if you read the other accounts, they all say a little something different. And a, 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 a higher critic says, well, the guy, the Bible is not infallible because this one says, he says, don't you care if we drown? This one says, help, Lord, save us. Probably most likely is everybody's yelling a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> and likely this is Peter, right? Because we know that Mark probably comes down from the, the experience of Peter. And it's something kind of like Peter would say, kind of snarky, kind of like, hey, Jesus, don't you care if we're going to die here, right? And so what, and they're terrified, rightly so. Now, um, the Sea of Galilee has storms like this all the time. Obviously, this is a very big storm. I don't have time to go through all. Um, but but uh, they're fr afraid of this storm. Jesus stands up, and what's he say? Uh, Does he yell? Quiet. quiet. Be still. <laughs> Here's an object lesson. How successful are you at that? I do it all the time. Oh yeah, it's oh yeah. That's all we need. Just one parenting class. Tell your kids, quiet, be still, and it just works. Yeah, right. You know, I don't have a, I don't have authority over myself. I tell myself sometimes, quiet, be still, and I still end up saying, I don't have authority over my own self. Jesus, Jesus gets up, it's quiet, be still, and what happens? The wind dies down, and it was completely calm. Now, what's being communicated here is that, you know, you've all experienced water, and like you're in a boat, and you bounce the boat, and the water, and it ripples, it, no, the slightest. What this is talking about is Jesus comes out, says, quiet, be still, and it's glass. Okay, it goes dead still. No waves, no nothing. He's got authority like nobody knows. And what happened, now the disciples are what? Oh, wow, look what we've got in the boat. This is awesome. This dude's a stud. We can do anything. What do they say? They are super scared. <laughs> and and they're terrified. They went from afraid to like, <laughs> what is... It's so interesting that uh, they freaked out over. Like they've already seen all these other miracles. They've seen all, I know, they've seen all this stuff, but man, you're so gentry. It you just interacted with a tornado. Okay, right? <laughs> Like, so, so yeah. now that was scary. That was scary. Because I was just thinking about this. I'm like, that was scary. Tornado shows up. If somebody came alongside your truck while it's, the tornado's going by and says, oh, I got this, and says, hey, quiet, and then the clouds part and blue sky comes out, are you more scared or kind of like, <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> Who is this person? I mean, you know, the tornado's scary, but somebody who's like commanding it what to do. Yeah. I mean, if I got, I mean, if it started blowing and, I don't know, someone come along here and I rolled the window up and said, hey, be quiet, and it stopped, I hope you all be like, mm. this guy, is, what's he conjuring? I mean, they're, they're terrified. Jesus is unsettling. I mean, there's just no way around this kind of an individual. When God shows up, I mean, this is, again, I feel like this kind of section here is a lot about, dude, Jesus I don't know. He's he's real and he's real, real. Like he's God showing up. And so 
this idea, Jesus absolutely is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so, yes, we, we, we are gathered under his wings as a, as a chick with her hens. But the other side is, this is a dude who does exactly what he wants. I mean, he's got authority and power and can do whatever he wants. That there's an unnerving, unsettling side of, because it's just, it's beyond our comprehension, really. I mean, that, that Jesus can do this sort of thing. Um, uh, I also yeah. think it would be really intimidating because he's basically telling God, God, stop. Right? Because God's in charge of nature. He's saying, Absolutely. God, stop. And God, stop. I think that would be extremely intimidating. Psalm 107, and I, we don't have time, but is a good one to read. Um, now that I've said it, I'm pretty sure it's Psalm 107. Psalm 107, 23, speaking of God, others went out and seized on ships. They are merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he, for he spoke, speaking of God, he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' ends. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. So there's a little bit of a force. I mean, there's this is what God can do with a storm. And they're in the boat with Jesus, and he does it with the storm. And so they're like, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus has authority over everything. Evil spirits, disease, even nature. So there we are. Go to skip over Legion. Um, it's good. I mean, unless you have something, I mean, it's an interesting story, but we've kind of discussed the demon fleeing power of Jesus. They recognize him, right? They're saying, uh, what do you want with me? Jesus, son, this is verse seven, Jesus, son of the most high God. Mm -hmm. Demons, they know what's up with Jesus. Yeah, well. Yeah, that's he's pretty. Yeah, so why do you think like there. Legion? He went and told him to tell, and then when he heal, like heals Jairus's daughter, it tells him not to tell. Mm. Because he went back to the un, a city of unclean, mm -hmm. and he told uh, he was. This guy wanted to go word. with Jesus, and Jesus he says, "Go back and tell your friends." The word to the unclean. One he of the things. Yeah. One of the things that's happened here, as they've crossed, as they've crossed the Sea of Galilee here, they've gone to the Gentile side of Galilee, so they're not ministering to Jews here. And one of the big tip-offs is that Jesus sends the demon into what? The pigs. Can Jews have pigs? No. They're on the Gentile side of the lake, and so Jesus, this guy wants to come with Jesus. He says, "No, go and tell your friends. Go to the Gentile nations." And, and tell them what has been done for them that Jesus is on the scene. He goes back to the capitalists and tells. But there, and Jesus comes back and there is, um, see verse 21, Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. He's come back over, a guy, a ruler of the synagogues. On the Jewish side, Jesus has him, tells him, chill out. And, and uh, all that I've ever heard about that is the reason is behind what I kind of said with Eric last week when he was, is that um, Jesus has a mission, and it's to die on a cross at Passover in a certain at, in a couple years from now, or a year from now, or whatever it is. And so he is 
downplaying, there's many places that you can see in the Gospels of where they try to take Jesus and make him king. And he's like, I'm not here for that. I, I'm here to die. And so he says, don't, don't talk, don't, don't go out and tell. That's what I've heard. So, woman with issue of blood, Jairus' daughter. The main thing here, Jesus, you just can't tell the dude what to do. He, you can't, I mean, he's going to do what he's going to do. And, and it's going to be good, but it may not be what you think it's going to be. But he's going to do what he's going to do. Uh, the woman with the issue, Jairus shows up. My daughter is sick. Come quickly. All right, let's go. And then what happens? There's a crowd and a woman touch. And Jesus is like, oh, hold up. Now, if you're Jairus and you know your daughter is sick and you know this guy that can heal her is on his way, you're like, I don't care if this old woman doesn't feel well. Let's go see my 12-year-old daughter who maybe has a life ahead of her and this woman who's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. I mean, no offense, but let's uh, let's let her. She can wait. <laughs> let's let. I mean, if you were at an ER and and I'm not trying to be mean to anybody who is aged, but if you brought in somebody who's 60 or 70 and they had an issue, and you brought in someone who was 10 and had an issue, and there was one doctor, if you, I mean, you help the young person. I mean, the other person might be at the end of the. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not trying to be uh, on the. The panel. <laughs> I'm not trying to be yes, ageist here, but Jairus might be saying, you know, if I had Jana going in and there's a 80 year old person, I'm like, could you please? Got her whole life ahead of her. Could you work on her? But Jesus tells Jairus, wait. So anyway, interlude there. The woman shows up. What does she want to do? She wants to touch the hem of his garment and get healed and have it be over with. And, and there's there's a sense of, you know, she's crawling. She's not supposed to be where she is because she's unclean and she's in the middle of a bunch of Jewish people. She just wants to touch him, be healed, kind of go on her way. What happens? Jesus is like, hold up. <laughs> Something just happened. So, power went out from me. Who touched me? You know, and they're all, so I was like, who everybody's touching me. He's like, no, something really <laughs> happened. And and he addresses this woman and, and calls her out. And she's forced to do more than she really wanted to do. She's, she's brought into a position of, that's uncomfortable, but he, she gets this. She she gets what she was looking for and more, right? Uh, he, she gets um, says, "Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." She doesn't just get this issue of blood healed. She gets something more done. I mean, when you can't can't tell Jesus kind of what to do, he's gonna do, and what he's gonna do is gonna be good, but it's gonna be. Even better. Thank you, Jen. That'll work. So, Jairus, what happens then? They're healing the old lady. Sorry, I shouldn't have called her old lady. They're healing the woman with the issue of blood. <laughs> now I'm just being mean. And and what happens? Somebody shows up and says, daughter, Your daughter's dead. Don't bother with Jesus anymore. Well, I mean... Jairus is, what, I mean, what is he going to do at this point? He's expecting, you know, there's this brief window. He can make her well. And now it's, it's too late. Jesus has not done what he should have done in time. He has failed Jairus. Now what? Well, we know that he then goes, uh, is mocked, says she's not dead but asleep. Says, what is it, Dennis? What's he say to her? <laughs> Talitha kum, or whatever that, something in Arabic. Little girl, it's an affectionate term. Little girl, I say to you, get up. And she stands up and she walks around. She comes to life. Jesus has authority over demons. 
the supernatural realm. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over nature. He even has authority over death. And that when those who die and Jesus says, you can't be dead anymore, I come back to life. So... Very true. Then it's like hush, keep it on the hush. Which all those people that would have that came and told him that she was dead, and now she's running around eating. Like you would think that spread like wildfire. You know what I mean? Like dead. Yeah, because then everybody's gonna be like, my child died two years ago. Can you raise? Maybe. I, he's the crowds are becoming an issue. We see that he's in a boat pushing out so that he can just teach everybody. He's healing like crazy. I mean, there's places where you can see he just heals everybody. We also see though in Nazareth, he goes back to his hometown and he can't really do anything because there's no no faith there or whatever. They're amazed at their lack of faith. Um, Jairus is a leader at the synagogue, so he's a he's a Jewish man who's got isn't that no he's not that where is it? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the synagogue rulers named Jairus. So he has some clout to put forward the Messiah. The Messiah they're looking for, though, is a different Messiah than what Jesus is. They're looking for a triumphant Messiah who's going to come over, kick Rome's butt, and they're going to have their promised land back. And that's who they want. They want this Messiah who's going to come in on a horse and kick out Herod and whoever and, and take over their, build the nation of Israel all over again. And that's not the Messiah that Jesus is. Messiah is the Isaiah, or Jesus, Messiah. Jesus is the Isaiah 53 Messiah of the suffering servant that is coming to die to take the transgression of his people upon himself. And so there is this real sense of, of they're wanting to make him be some Messiah that he isn't. And so he's pushing that off, attempting to, by saying, not, don't tell, you know, He's got plenty of work without it to, going on. But. So do you think these two stories are more about just the whole action of believing? I mean, the woman that was healed was healed basically because of her belief that if I just touch it, mm-hmm. she'd be healed. And so that's why she was healed. And then he says to the other people whose daughter's dying, don't be afraid, just believe. Mm-hmm. And it's really that simple. Believe yeah. and trust in me. There, yeah, believe and trust in me. And that's a distinction I think it's important because you can get into some versions of, of Christianity that will talk about believing for something. And the emphasis is believing that Jesus is who he is. Um, there's a, a slight application you could take from the disciples in the storm, and we see it much more from the apostles, is that uh, Jesus isn't opposed to letting you go through rough times. And so there's no guarantee that what that having faith that he can do this thing for you means that he will. But there is something to believing that he is God who can do whatever he wants to do. And that, I think, is the faith. He's committing her for her faith, believing that he can do this. And he did do this. And Jairus believes this, and he commends him for his faith that he can do this. Um, but... It is faith that Jesus is who he says he is, is where the way that I would kind of go with that, if that makes sense. There's just some kind of, you can get into some 
it's important to take this gospel as a whole gospel, I guess. That you don't want to just make your life be about, I'm the one with the issue of blood. And so, uh, trust me, people do it. So, uh, <laughs> that, that I'm just here to get hold of the hem of Jesus' garment. And I'm just going to, and I'm going to grab the hem of his garment. I'm not going to let him go. And I'm going to get my miracle. I don't want to just beat people up. But that story is telling a, a point that Jesus is somebody to pay attention to. Jesus is the one to believe in um, and then and then things play out how they will how he wills well the miracle is probably going to happen without faith or something that she sure. because he's like all of a sudden the power went out right right but sure she was open she was believing was open she was believing and he said you know your yeah. faith has made you well she was a different kind of a touch, absolutely. Well, you see that in his hometown too. He wasn't able to do as many miracles because there was no faith. Right. There was no faith, right? right. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. Right. Exactly. They weren't, and is it they weren't believing him for certain things, or they just weren't believing that he was who he said he was? They they weren't believing that he really was Jesus. They they weren't. They're not maybe on the level of the Pharisees who are saying you're Satan. But this is but they're kind of just saying you're not. I mean, Jesus. That's what's seen in his whole life. Right. Exactly. Exactly. They, they grew up, up with him. Like, right. You're just Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> the right. kid from down the block, yeah. you know? And that's kind of what they say to him. Exactly. Yeah. And Carpenter said, yeah. Yeah. So, 738. We want to see Jesus all in in prayer. Father, I thank you just for the good uh, time we've here, had here tonight. God, I pray that you would bring things to our minds and bring things to everyone's mind that we've sat around and discussed these things, that this would be seed continuing to work into us about the reality of, of who Jesus is is that we wouldn't just uh, have a category for i don't know a, an exalted kind of figure but this would really sink into us god i pray ask for myself god i want this to be seed that digs in deep that the roots go down that that my faith is grounded uh, my faith is grounded not in what you may do for me but in in who you are for me and that all of us, God, we would in this place tonight, as we have seen, that we would not just end in seeing, God, but that we would see and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And that our hope and our, our faith is to be placed not in something of what he can do for us primarily, but in, in who he is for us. God, the Messiah, the Son of God, our rescuer. Give us eyes to see and receive, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.